Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But do we think no, tourists sir. are just like urinating in the street though? Hardly. It has happened. I've seen tourists pee in the street There's before. T- no, you haven't. 100% well, I have. You've seen tour. You're, you're going to stand over that comment. I am 100% standing over that. I've seen tour groups do that. Yeah. to this week's episode of The Group Chat. I am news correspondent here at Virgin Media News, Richard Chambers, joined as always by my fellow news correspondent, Zara King. Hello, how are you? Good. And Zach, Gavin Riley, who is our political correspondent. <laughs> yeah. It's weird, I didn't know where you were going there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> like you're going to throw a curveball. I was going to yeah, yeah, give you who, some fake title. Who is pale? Yeah. <laughs> how is life in the heatwave treating all of us? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, actually, I now have a fan in my house, which honestly is fantastic. Oh. I stick it in the hall. It's it's air circulating. It's fantastic. I mean, I couldn't live without it, to be honest. I mean, since you asked, I could go off on one about how the rain has made the hay fever worse. Because when mm. you have a long stretch of dry weather and then rain, that brings down atmospheric pollen and brings up the ground level pollen. Oh, God. The last couple of days have been rough. This kind of skin tone, this hairline, this this immune system... It's been a rock and roll ride. You're dicing with, yeah. I'm inside an aircon and I've never felt better. <laughs> I mean, Keep this man indoors is, yeah. is, is kind of the message. How are you finding it? it yeah. Great, yeah, enjoying it. I'm, I'm wearing shorts in the studio for the very first and possibly the last time ever, actually. <laughs> uh, TV viewers might want to turn off and disgust or turn on uh, as, as, as applicable, but yeah. Just, just for moved to Virgin Media 1 to the big channel and you come in wearing shorts. I know, the professionalism has taken a, d- well, a dive. you come in when you're off, in fairness to you. So, yeah, you know, what it is, yeah, you, you know? come in your time so, off. So, yeah, good time to be off for it. But speaking of heat, yes, the heat is being turned up on one man in particular this week, that is Donald Trump. And in fact, the news agenda this week is being dominated by Donald Trump and by two other men who we do share some similarities with, those, of course, being Boris Johnson, the former UK Prime Minister, and Silvio Berlusconi, uh, who is being laid to rest in his, uh, you know, effectively his native Milan uh, today, the former uh, four-time Italian Prime Minister, a remarkable setting. Uh, We'll come to Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, and uh, Berlusconi, really, in turn on this. I mean, the most recent situation with Donald Trump is perhaps the most worrying one for the world in terms of what it might unleash, but it is also the thing which might finally derail him in mm. some ways. And that is, of course, the classified documents matter. He has now appeared in court in Miami. He made the long drive down from Palm Beach, beautiful Palm Beach and Mar-a-Lago. How long is the drive? You've, you've done, you've done the drive. It's about an hour and a half, but in that heat, it's a bit sweaty. So okay. I hope his limo had good uh, Good aircon. And good it's his birthday con. today as well. Is it? Oh yeah, yeah his birthday. Birthday. It's his birthday today. Now, um, today. I believe he was celebrating that birthday then after being in court yesterday with all his supporters sort of, you know, saying happy birthday. And it, what I find really interesting about him is that he is surrounded by people who are yes people to him all the time though. Do you 100%. not notice that? I feel like he feels totally immune to a lot of the like very serious things that are happening because he's so surrounded by love if and support. Could, but if you construct that universe for yourself, then anyone else who ever disagrees with you is just fake news. But what actually happened in Wait. court, Richard? What's actually going down here? Well, Zara, I'm going to put it to you this way. If you had classified documents relating to nuclear weapons, to planned attacks by the US military, to Iran, to the capabilities of your allies, would you store them in a bathroom? Uh, Would you store them on the stage of a ballroom? 
Or would you have them spilling out of a cardboard box onto the floor where anyone could see them? Or would you do all of the above? Well, I mean, if I was Donald Trump, it would be all of the above, obviously. obviously. I sort of feel like the Jacks is the first place that I want to leave all my sensitive stuff. Like, there was a business centre in Mar-a-Lago. And mm. bearing in mind that Mar-a-Lago is still, aside from being his residence, you'd know this from having been there, Richard. Like, it's a functioning hotel. That if you want to go and pay to stay a night in Mar-a-Lago, you can, by all means, all comers welcome, knock around with Trump in the ballroom afterwards. So sorry, literally, just so we can give a visual here, are we talking about them literally being in the ballroom and the function, like the function room the of the hotel? On the function room. Are we talking about the function room of the hotel? It's it's a function room and a stage and a ballroom, but there will be a couple of them there with now. Door locked, like or I mean, this knows? is actually one of the best defences. So one of the best defences that Kevin McCarthy, uh, who is the uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives, perhaps the most senior current sitting Republican in an office, um, his deflection for Donald Trump on this was uh, well at least you can lock a bathroom but if you're locking a bathroom you lock the bathroom from inside so you'd okay. be inside there with all the classified with all documents the stuff. But so, this, this is why I think it's so remarkable about how the, the business centre aspect hasn't been reported on because we, we almost forget now what business centres are in hotels because we've all got Wi-Fi and laptops but like once upon a time if you needed something printed you'd have to go to the business centre yeah. of the hotel and use a common little PC or, or use the fax machine there and those are still commonplace in a lot of older hotels so if you wanted to go and send a fax in Mar-a-Lago, whatever reason you might need to do that, use the printer. You'd be going into a business centre stacked full of cartons of stuff that may have been illegally taken from the White House that may have contained some of the country's gravest secrets. Just sitting around in a business centre, which is not behind a lock and key because generally they're behind a pane of glass that a hotel patron can go in and use. But does he believe that he owns these documents? Like, what's his his take on it? I think it's pretty clear from the indictment prepared uh, in the state of Florida uh, that he is very much in hot water. He knows... This was that wrong. things were wrong. What is different, because people who are supporters of Donald Trump will point to Joe Biden and the fact that classified documents are found at his house in Delaware. Mike Pence as well had classified documents from when he was vice president. But what's happened with those is that they owned up and they're like, my mistake. Oops. Yeah. I brought them, them home for a working weekend. They're still there. Donald, Donald Trump, can, can, once he was alerted to these documents, uh, kept many of them, uh, moved them around, in fact, uh, and people who were in his circle knew that this was wrong. Uh, and in fact, Donald Trump instructed his lawyers uh, asking them, uh, should we admit to having what we have or should we say that maybe we don't have them or maybe we should pluck out some of the most sensitive ones there. Mm. And I think the biggest sign that he's in hot water is the fact that many of his lawyers, including ones who went on national TV to advocate for him over recent days, mm. have now resigned from his service because yeah. of the possibility and actually because the best evidence so far has been to, from Donald Trump's own lawyers and what they said have been the most incriminating things against mm. him. He is in hot water. Perhaps the, beg- the biggest and best thing for him is that this actually stands really well for him. This, this, this complete catastrophe of national st- uh, state security mm. plays really well for his voters. Yeah, well, they it love does. It. Let's talk about that then. Why yeah. is that? Because we talked about how this is the most, maybe the most dangerous of all the charges that he's facing and it could be the most explosive as regards where America goes now. We did talk a few weeks ago when he was in New York about the Stormy Daniels indictment and we're like, this is the least serious of all of them. What makes this one so sensitive and why will this kick things off in a way that the others might not? Well, there's two strands to that. The, the most dangerous thing for the, of this for the United States is the fact that this is another opportunity for Donald Trump to decry a witch hunt. And again, as you're saying, he just reports everything as fake news. But this is fairly... If it, and Bill Barr, his former... Um, one of his you know, most senior former advisors previously said, if even half mm. of the stuff in this indictment is, is true, then he's, he's, he's frankly doomed. Mm. And that is a very hard thing to escape. However, Donald Trump is going to kick this down the line as much as possible. 
he doesn't want this interfering and doesn't want to be in jail before the 2024 presidential election. This won't derail him in any way. It's actually getting him a lot more support. All of his key rivals for the Republican nomination are all singing his praises and backing him in support. Well, he did, I was sorry to he did actually have a speech last night in which he sort of more or less appealed to that base and sort of was very clear in coming out and sort of, it's an opportunity, it's a stage moment for him really when you say it like that. And he said in that speech, you know, um, he attacked a range of prominent public figures including Bill and Hillary Clinton. He also um, went after Joe Biden. He likes to give Joe Biden a dig most of the time when he speaks <laughs> nowadays. Yeah. Anyway, but he said, today we witnessed the most evil and heinous abuse of power in the history of our country. He claimed the indictment was another attempt to rig and steal an election that was straight out of a fascist or communist nation. Like, those words, Gavin, are... yeah. They're, they're the signs of someone who is trying to, again, as he did to great political success in the, the last base. eight years, everything is a witch hunt. That mm. I, and I can't possibly, nothing can go against me if things are going against me. It's because there's a deep state colluding to try and keep me out because they want to keep America corrupt and they don't want to drain the swamp or whatever it is that, that's going on. But he doesn't want this to drag on. So he certainly won't want to drag on into primary season, which starts next January. And I think there's a rule in Florida that you, you can try and have these things expedited so that they're all wrapped well, up. Well, he will want it. He w- he's already playing the delay thing is the, is, is the well, most... He, want he will want to drag this so, out so as long to, as possible. So he Absolutely. wants to potentially be jailed in the middle of the primaries. Well, he wants to become president and try and put a stop to it. Is effectively the is effectively the strategy from Trump Terrors at this point of at this point in time. So the longer you drag it out, you get elected, and then you can prosecute have, do whatever you he have, wants. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pardon himself. Do whatever he wants at that point. That that is the strategy. Okay. It may not work. It it could well work. So but in the meantime, in the in the meantime, you rev up all your supporters. They think this is um uh, you know a, a campaign to to touch their guy who is you know effectively still a god in their eyes, and they will do whatever it takes to stop it. What Donald Trump has in common with the next person we should talk about is Boris Johnson. Mm. Can I just before we move on, can I ask you really quickly, right? Is with all of this going on, is he still going to be secure in getting the Republican nomination? Or 100%. Will, or will he have At this point in time, so? 100%. Okay. This has played really well. Republicans have huge sympathy for him, even though the facts are pretty much against them. But even the more sort of like, you know, middle middle right Republicans, are they even. There's not of, many of them. Okay, there's, there's not, not many, many of them. Okay. Chris Christie is probably the only one who's actually attacking him over this at this point in time. Okay. So his chief rival says this is a witch hunt, uh, which is, I don't know how that plays politically if your main rival is saying, leave Donald Trump alone. Right. You know, so right. it's going to be a big problem is that there is nobody who's actually going to take him on in this. I think it's going to be, this. what's worrying is how this is going to divide the country over the next while. I remember when we were doing our documentary on it last year, mm. the, um, the state attorney for uh, Palm Beach County, which is where Mar-a-Lago is, said effectively, they need, the team who are prosecuting this needs to have everything absolutely right because there is going to be a huge chance of civil unrest, riots in the streets. You've already heard people calling for people to take up arms against the United States government over this. Mm. That is a very dangerous situation to be in. Mm. So the legal team who are handling this in terms of prosecuting Donald Trump for the first time ever on federal charges against a former US president, they have the pressure of the world on their shoulders. Mm. A man who seems to live without pressure all the time though, Boris Johnson, and there was no problem in undermining the state, which he will seek to like, govern once again. There has never been a more just vibes-based Prime Minister. Mm. Like, detail does not matter to that man. It's all just about vibes. Oh, the vibes are that this is a, again, there's the phrase, witch hunt uh, by the House of uh, Commons Privileges Committee to try and uh, convict me of something of which there's no evidence. It's all a witch hunt, but because they're going to be determined to push me out anyway, I'm going to follow my own sword before they push me out. And there's already theorising, like we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, the report's going to be published on Thursday morning, that will make clear exactly what they found against him and how credible his stance is. 
But within the Tories, they're already talking about which safe seat can he run for again in future. Uh, yeah. we, our, our, our former colleague, Enda Brady, formerly of Sky News, mm. talked to him on radio on Sunday and he said there's already been a Liberal Democrat in his constituency, Henley on Thames, knocking at the door and going, right, well, who's, who's going to be the Tory candidate? And they're like, oh, we're all hearing it's Boris Johnson. Because yeah. the current Tory guy, Tory MP, has a safe seat, but there's no real interest in hanging around. So the next election comes around, some other Tory will make way and Boris runs and he's back in again. And, and then he's thrown his weight around the place looking to be Prime Minister again. But he does, I mean, not a million miles off Donald Trump once again. He is kind of surrounded by yes people and people who absolutely support him and are totally backing him. And I think that that's one of the things that actually we don't always see in the news coverage, but that like when you are around people like this, when I saw Donald Trump a couple weeks ago, for example, down in Doombeg, you know, you see the entourage of the travels with these people and they are kind of protected from a lot of negative information mm. about themselves. I think Boris Johnson, Richard, is yeah. probably in the same boat in a sense that um, you'd be surprised how how sort of like delusional someone could actually be on the basis of just being quite protected by those loyal, loyal supporters. And he has so many of them and they've all been on the airwaves and the front pages of the UK uh, Tory leaning press have been relentless Mm. in decrying this as an unfair, punitive uh, you know, hounding of their beloved Boris Johnson who never really achieved any of the objectives he ever set out in government anyway. Hashtag got Brexit done. Whatever that means. But he, he resigned as an MP is the whole point we're talking about this. None of us believe this is the last we will ever see of him. But in signing off, he uh, effectively got knighthoods for Jacob Rees-Mogg, mm-hmm. Michael Fabricant, yeah. a damehood for Pretty Patel. He tried to get a knighthood for his own father, but Rishi Sunak was like, that's mm-hmm. that's one too We're many. not having that one. That's one too far. Doris into the House of Lords and then she got vetoed somewhere along the line. And actually, this is an interesting point because this is all a very fluid situation. I mean, even by the time this airs, the, the, the situation around Boris may have changed. So let's not make ourselves hostage to fortunes too much. But there is one interesting point, which is that all the Boris loyalists are now singling out Rishi Sunak as the big bad wolf for all of this. And that's curious because... If you accept the idea that Boris Johnson is now out on his ear because of what he did around Partygate, those Mm. unauthorised gatherings in Downing Street during lockdown, that's not Rishi Sunak's fault. Rishi Sunak didn't trigger an investigation by the Commons Privileges Committee. So none of this is his doing. But the reason I think why Rishi Sunak is the guy that's now being targeted is because, well, Rishi Sunak, whatever about being Prime Minister, is the leader of the party. And if Boris wants the leadership of the party irrespective of whether Sunak did wrong, they mm. need to create the vacancy. So they're trying to weaken Sunak, even if it means immolating their own party to try and make a space for Oh them. yeah, they don't care about the damage or destruction caused by anything. No, and I was going to say that I think that the one thing that's been really clear like over the last couple of days and all of this is that reiterating that all of this is motivated by personal grievance, by personal yeah. desire, that yeah. none of it comes from a place of what's best for Britain or what's best for the country. And actually, it's almost gone to the point where he's not even trying to pretend anymore that he really cares about what's best for Britain. He's actually just really cares about what's best for Boris. And that's just become abundantly clear. If it, as if it wasn't already, but it really has in the last couple and of days. Those are traits which Boris Johnson and Donald Trump share. And you could say that they were inspired a lot mm. by Silvio Berlusconi, who had so many bounce backs. It didn't matter what the scandal was. It didn't matter what the conviction was. It didn't matter what embarrassment there was. It did not matter. Nothing will silence them. They will keep on coming back time and time and time again, because they believe that the office that they are seeking is theirs by right and nothing will stand in their way, and they do not care what they will wreck to get their way. The one thing that's worth remembering about Silvio Berlusconi is that as a four-time Prime Minister, he had to lose the job three times, which meant there was more than enough scandals to keep him down. Just kept coming back.
Yesterday we heard the very, very sad news that Christy Dignam, the 63-year-old former frontman or frontman of Aslan, the beloved Dublin rock band, had died following a long illness. Kai's a remarkable and an authentic figure in Dublin and then in Irish music as well. Mm. He had such a resonance with so many people and such a long career. Zara, you were working on this over the last couple of days in terms of the tributes that have been pouring in yeah. for Christy. What sort of impact were people sharing with you in terms of what he had? Uh, people were just, you know, I suppose he's been sick for a while and people knew that he was sick. And in so many ways, when the announcement came yesterday, there was even a moment of like, no, is this is this real? Has this actually happened? Like people, there was disbelief, I would say, in the initial stages for the first kind of, you know, 20 minutes almost. And then when it became uh, the reality and that statement came in from the family and um People are just really, really heartbroken, Richard. Like he's only 63, 63 years no young. Really, yeah, it is yeah. 60, 63 nowadays as young, I have to say. I think it really is. They all say 60 is kind of the new 40 now, isn't it? I do think that um, his impact will just be, you know, like everyone had a memory. Even the president was talking about his own memory. Actually, Michael D. Higgins was the first tribute to come out yesterday and he was talking about um, a gig that he did in Oris on Ucron in 2016. Mm. But also just talking about, you know, how the songs were almost kind of like a soundtrack to to the Irish life, that Irish lived mm. experience that there, everyone has kind of a memory of of those key songs and, and what it meant to them. So really, really upsetting. I suppose people outside, we went to Vicar Street then. So we were actually in the Department of Health for a different story when all of this broke yesterday and we were sort of scrambling. We, we had to park the other story and just move on to this very quickly. And then we went to Vicar Street straight afterwards for the news at seven to kind of meet some of the music fans that were mm-hmm. going in. The Goo Goo Dolls are playing in Vicar Street. And actually, in a way, myself and Martin Ringy, the cameraman, we're, we're going along the line asking people, would they like to pay tribute to, to Christy Dignam? And actually some people were like, why, what happened? And then I was sort of having that moment where you have to tell them, oh, I'm really sorry, Christy yeah. Dignam's actually died. And one girl just, she burst into tears. And I was like, I'm really sorry to have had to tell you this. But like, that was the raw emotion and the reaction. And that's what he meant to people. He yeah. meant an awful lot. We yeah. Are, yeah. No, I was going to say, we, we often find just on that note, uh, in our line of work, sometimes if you're doing a vox pop or you're talking to people in a queue like that, mm. sometimes they can be very reluctant to volunteer to do something or they're like, oh, I don't want to do it on camera. I'll tell yeah. you what I think, but I'd rather not do it on TV. I imagine yesterday was one of those cases where you weren't short of volunteers. No, no, I wasn't. And actually, well, like I said, there were some people who were like, I've just heard, can you give me a second? And then like, you come back to them or whatever. And then there was a lovely guy who sings in the pub next to Vicar Street. And he was like, you know what? He was like, Christy Dignam was a really big influence to me in terms of my singing career. Um, you know, the music just meant so much to me. And then he actually did a singing tribute for us as well, which was really lovely to have that Very too. Nice. Um, and Harry Crosby then, who owns Vicar Street, Harry sort of has known him for such a long time. And Harry was actually saying that um, himself and Christy had always been saying they'd do a performance together. I don't know if Harry's a singer. I'm not sure if he's a singer. (laughs) I couldn't say if he was or he wasn't. Um, But he said, you know, alas, that won't happen now, but that they will intend on on doing um, a great big tribute night to him. I think what's interesting, and I was saying this yesterday, is that you're actually probably going to see, and I think it'll be great to see Aslan Music making its way up now through the Irish chart on Spotify this mm. week, that people would really, and I know I did, like after the news at half five when I was driving over to Vicar Street, I straight onto Spotify and I put on, um, you know, Crazy World in the car driving over and stuff. And it was just so lovely to hear it. Um, and I think the music, it's always like that when, when people die, that the music and the art is really celebrated, particularly in those first couple of days. Yeah, and it brings it to a new audience as well, because I think this is something which it might be lost on some younger listeners. And a lot of younger listeners would be fans of Aslan. They would have come across it, whether through their parents, even mm. grandparents at this point in time, which is mad to think about. But a lot of people will be coming to Christy Dignam and to Aslan's music for the first time. And it's important to remember when Aslan burst into the scene, in the 80s, there was a real feeling that this could be 
not just the next U2 because that's that was a, a label which was sort of it almost weighed them down in many ways mm. but this was the next big thing in Irish music and they had every right to believe that if you listen to their first album and even this is which has become like I think it's even more than Crazy World. It's just an emblematic song for what mm. Aslan yeah. were all about and the impact of that song that it had on so many people from, effectively for people who are considered on the wrong side of the tracks in Dublin. Because yeah. Aslan faced so much stigma and they faced so much exclusion on their way up as being young guys from Finglas. Christy Dignam put up with an awful lot of really, to be honest, throughout his career. Even in his later years, he struggled with addiction. The courage that Christy Dignam has shown throughout his career is probably one of the things which I'll take away from it. Uh, because he was labelled, there was tabloid stuff, there was a lot of rows he had with people when he was going through it. Of course, he was kicked out of Aslan uh, yeah. after the first yeah. album, which is actually, I think, is one of the, it's just one of the great what-ifs of Irish music is because Aslan had their first album out in 1986. Uh, and it felt like this is this is the start of something really special. Yeah. Mm. And it was straight after that that Christie was out. Addiction was probably chief amongst the reasons why he was out mm. there. But it's just a, it's a great, and I think there's a, there's a tinge of regret about it in some ways. But in other ways, you're kind of like, well, there's almost as more there's something more special about the fact that they the were just ours. Yeah, that they were oh, just totally. ours. If you think about that first album coming out in 1986, so the other big Irish band of the time being U2, the Joshua Tree is 1987, yeah. and then they are they're beyond Irish. We don't own them mm. anymore. They belong to the world. So then to have this other band that's coming up that feels like they're ours and that they could be, maybe they might have been destined to follow the same path. But the fact that they remained hours that they're almost like this national secret that yeah. we've got to hang on to and to really appreciate. Uh, one thing that, which I think is really striking when you think about it that way is that, especially when they were coming through the ranks at the same time as you 2 how authentic it is for a band that could be on the cusp of taking over the world and to have a Northsider singing in his native accent and for mm, it not yeah. to feel like it's in any way presented or packaged for the rest of the world. No, this is just lads from Finglas and a singer from Finglas who is just singing in his own voice. He's not trying to pretend to fit into a mould. This is just him being his true self. And one other related point, I think it's lovely that in the tributes that have aired since he died, that there's been focused not just on what the band did, but on his own private sort of solo work as a balladeer. Mm. Because so much of what you hear is Aslan doing agree, big yeah. rock songs. But when you hear him singing with Finbar Fury, doing rebel songs in 1916 Laments, you go, mm. it's another aspect to him which made him so brilliant, which made him so beloved that would never have carried for the rest of the world. But it just heightens that sense of how special he was to those of us who were in his orbit. Yeah. Do you know what I was just thinking yesterday when we were talking about him actually, just about that time in music in Ireland, it seems like it was such a cool time to be in a cool band. Like just to put it really plainly, mm. it just seems like, you know, the hype around it, even people queuing up to have vinyl signed and things like that. You know, it's interesting to even look at it in the context of how the music industry and how music as a business has changed. Mm. Um, You know, that like, you know, that that kind of level of super fandom, is it, it's not really the same these days, is it? It's, it's more difficult. It's a different times, yeah. different era. But yeah. it, it was such an interesting time for Irish music because it was such a, it was a crap time in the country. Yeah. Uh, economically, uh, violence-wise, everything was mm. grey. Dublin was in the pits of, uh, addiction was rife in Dublin. Heroin had really hit the streets in a terrible yeah. way in the 1980s. But you had these incredible artists who were coming up around the same time. Sinead O'Connor, of course, the same vocal yes. coach that Christy had as well. Um, there was this support network that was there 
and there was a real feeling that something special was happening. And it is something if you could capture and bottle a moment yeah. in Irish music, it probably would be around then. That really personal cool connection time. that people feel like they have to him and it still had. Like it was very striking even in more recent years uh, when he wasn't working with Aslan that he was still doing solo shows around the country. And it didn't matter that Aslan were still big enough that they were supposed to do a big gig in the three arena until Christie's health mm. began to fail him not so long ago. It was March that, that gig was meant to be. Yeah. That, lo- March, not not yeah. so long before that. Um, he was doing shows in GAA clubhouses around the country. That's how small an audience he was prepared to he play. He played to. everywhere, yeah. He did two or three gigs in, in the Kiltail Hurling Club clubhouse, yeah. my, my home hurling club in County Meath. And he had such a ball the first time and everyone loved him so much. He was like, God, if, if I'm still up to it, I'd love to come back here. And he went back I love in, that. At, at least I love once, if that. not twice. Because that's just how beloved he was. Yeah. He was... It, it sounds trite and it sounds cliched, but it, it was so much more special to everyone because he was one of our own. But he yeah. was also like, lo- there was that story that was told about him that, you know, when he was going in for treatment in hospital that he was singing in the waiting room and keeping everyone in the waiting room sort of, you know, company and like entertaining them and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was so gorgeous that that was... I just, there was no airs. This is a guy who just loved to perform and he yeah. was a student of the craft of music. Like he grew up and he was listening to... Uh, like David Bowie and people like that. But he was also, it, through his family, he loved opera. Uh, and right. if anybody ever have heard, even on the Late Late Show in recent years, mm. he did like a great rendition of Ave Maria. He just loved to sing. But he always had that connection to people, which I think is lost on the big superstars like U2 and Bono in particular, not to sort of like, you know, hit Bono. It's nothing to do with that. It's just the fact that there's a connection there that Christie would have had at a ground level that no one really had. That's why it's so rare. But even during lockdown, I think a lot of people would have come around to a new appreciation to Christy Dignam. Yeah. He would have done, he did live streams on yeah. Facebook very, very regularly. Uh, his daughter, Kira helping out with those. But also I remember there was a couple of viral clips of him just standing outside his house. One of his neighbours brought out a guitar, started strumming away. Christy did, out in the rain, a performance of Crazy World. And I just think there isn't, there's so many plaudits and rightfully so and praise coming in for Christy Dignam and what he meant to people. But we should also remember the fact that in many ways the country failed him. There was many things which should have been, you know, different about how people like Christy and people who went through addiction were let down. But also even during COVID, Christy spoke openly as well about the fact that he was um, refused COVID grants by the Irish government. Mm. Uh, said that he was down to his last 300 euro Uh, He said that he's 40 years, you know, in the music industry, in a working band, has toured absolutely everywhere, didn't work in 14 months, did everything the government asked him to do, cocooned, stopped gigging, did everything right, did the live streams. Uh, And he said, to quote him, he says, they just said, we didn't have enough points and we can't appeal it. We were pinning everything on this grant and now we're effed. And he said he was going to call up the local Chinese to see if they wanted a delivery driver. So when you hear politicians coming out and praising Christy Dignam, there is something worth bearing in mind there too. Mm. And this is something which was a constant throughout the career of Aslan, is that there was a stigma attached and there was, the phrase junkie was bandied around about Christy Dignam a lot. And it is a word which has a very destructive power. Christy Dignam is the great survivor of Irish music to come through absolutely everything that happened in his life. Sexually abused as a child, he spoke about that and why heroin became something to mask that pain. Mm. He was an incredible incredible person as well as an incredible singer um, and yeah we talk about like you know, the great what if that was there if they might have yeah. broken through if EMI hadn't dropped them after everything that sort of happened with the first one Crazy World came around in 93 that was almost a second chance but it just didn't happen it just didn't happen in the way that it might have 
But I think that we're just incredibly lucky to have had Christian to have Asla in the way that we did. And I just think as well, like we need to, like I, in a way I kind of feel like they were so successful in Ireland. Why can't we celebrate that? Why do we have to be so yeah. fixated on you have to break America or you have to be huge across Europe? Why can't you be a huge roaring success on that national stage? And as you say, Gavin, play venues big and small and still be deemed successful. Why are we so fixated on whether they, as you said, maybe match you too, that that was almost yeah. a label that sort of helped them back I actually think we need to like stop talking about that and just revere and celebrate the fact that they were huge in Ireland and people here adored them and yeah. adored him You mentioned Vicar Street as well and I think if anybody wants to sort of see how good of a performer Christy Dignam was uh, 1999 Made in Dublin at Vicar Street I actually shared a clip of it there yesterday Oh there's a vinyl of it this. yeah it's yeah. cool yeah Oh that is shivers at the spine stuff as soon as he starts crowd sings every word back at him as a physical performer and a frontman of a rock band, wow. I don't think, this is a controversial take in light of it, I don't think we've ever had a better one. Wow. In terms of natural, raw talent, the look, everything. Yeah. Christy Dignam, just a, a pure legend in everyone's eyes, I think. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Leo Varadkar, Taoiseach of the country. Discuss. <laughs> but is he in trouble, Gavin Riley? Uh, is he in trouble? Um... So th this whole question mark around whether Leo Varadkar is in trouble was spawned in part by the Sunday newspapers last Sunday because to have one Sunday newspaper suddenly writing a very long, mm. well-informed piece speculating about your future, that could be written off as, well, you know, it's just one journalist kind of hitting a rain of form. As it happens, all three of the Sunday broadsheets last weekend all carried long spreads with unattributed quotes from angry Fine Gael backbenchers, all suggesting that Leo Varadkar may not be long for yeah. the office of Taoiseach or as Fine Gael leader. And what are their issues? Like, what are the things they've been pointing well, out? Well, the... Th that in itself is very difficult to define because... There I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one. It should have nothing to do with how he is as a politician. Go on. There was the coronation and Matt Barrett. Yeah. And, uh, Which was objectively funny. Like, it's not a thing to hold against him. Uh, he didn't do it. It was... Uh, he didn't do it. It is. Oh, I'm sorry, Leo didn't, didn't do, do it. No, 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 Leo didn't do it. No, 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 I get that. objectively funny. Yeah, it might have been inappropriate, but it wasn't Leo's doing. Yeah. I mean, I, like, there was a lol there for sure. Like, there was, there was a, lol. a lol there for but sure. But like, I think, but I think so but I, but there's a lol, but I also think that when you're, like, there's an element of, like, there's an yeah. expectation of a higher it. standard. Yeah. Like, I, I, I like as much it. as it was, like, lol, it was a bit like, yeah. oh, oh, like, you know. Would you not put the phone away there? We're in the middle of doing a thing and you're kind of representing the state. No, I kind of get that. The big issue really is slide in the opinion polls and this idea that 
um, Fine Gael are almost destined now to lose the next general election, which I think many of the party are already kind of reconciled to anyway. Or when, Sorry, when we say lose the next general election, uh, end up in a position where they're not in government because of this perception that, well, Sinn Féin are shoe ins to lead the next government and Fine Gael aren't going to work with them. So Fine Gael better get used to being on the sidelines. And there's, there's a little bit of that. Um, I will say that the, the doll was not sitting last week. Mm which sounds like it shouldn't matter too much, but it does mean that if you're working for a Sunday newspaper and your job is to sort of try and read the tea leaves and the organs of government aren't really moving in the same way that they usually do, creating the news stories that they do, that suddenly there is room to start going into speculative stuff. Mm. And that, now I'm not saying there's no smoke without fire. Definitely when three oh, newspapers yeah. do it, there's definitely smoke to it. Whether or not he's in trouble or not, I think the reason why I don't think he is is because so many in the party have already kind of reconciled themselves to the fact that they're not going to be in power next time around. If you think about the but is pre- that not a very that's, de- so that's such a defeated well, attitude. But, no. but if you feel like so, the party is already. But like, why? Power. Why are you bothering to stick your name on a ballot whether paper? I mean, you with, can't. You can't well, have them that. or not. That's well, the next problem. Well, that is yeah. Okay, fair enough. Whether, whether it's with Labour or with the Independents or now with Fianna Fáil. Finnegrell has been in power for 12 years, unbroken, and there could be another, another two years to run before the next general election. Yeah, it's a long So they could be in yeah. power for 14 years, unbroken. Before this phase, they had never put two terms in government back to back. They'd only ever been in power for one term, usually with Labour, mm. and Fianna Fáil would come along and take power again next time around. So it, it, they just don't have this institutional history of being in power for, for um, phases this long. But I think that so many of the party reckon that it's time for a change or that they're just kind of fatigued or that they're jaded or that they don't really um, have the same um, mojo for power anymore, that they sort of feel like, well, we're not going to be in power after the next election. So in that case, why would anyone else want to take over from Leo Varadkar if you think you're going to end up defeated anyway? Well, the point I'd make about this is that it's so interesting that there are so many people who are willing obviously unnamed, mm. to talk out about Leo Varadkar. That is a sign that there is a problem there, whether or not it actually ends up him being, you know, ousted in some sort of heave. Mm. Uh, and of course, Leo Varadkar knows all about running heaves in the past. Um, <laughs> but Which is true, yeah. Uh, that's not a good sign, though. And it's, it's interesting to reading reading some of the articles um, over the last number of days that people are pining for the electoral success of one end to Kenny, mm. uh, that this is the problem which Leo Varadkar has, is that people within Fine Gael, as in, in the parliamentary party, they went for Leo because they're like, the public will get Leo. P- people, he will do, he will win us seats at the next election. Mm. That has never borne out in reality. Well, he's only had two national campaigns, one of which was the general election in 2020, uh, where they had the lowest share of the popular vote since 1948 for Fine Gael. So bad, yeah. First time they ever came third. <laughs> Not but, ideal. But like eight months before that, there was the local and European elections in which they gained share and gained seats. Yeah. So it he doesn't have a totally like blemish I mean record. that doesn't matter though well it, it's not what people measure their success by but well, these measure their success by whether they themselves can keep their jobs which yes. is what it uh, just before you come in Zara, there's one bookmark as to the um, why those backbenchers are so unhappy about things a lot of the backbenchers who are aggrieved at where the party is going are people who once upon a time held ministries whether senior or junior and don't anymore mm. the rationale that, that you would be given in response from Varadkar loyalists is that, well, after 12 years, you have to keep it turning over. You have to keep it fresh. You can't keep the same personnel in situ all the time. Mm. But the, and and there's, a rush, there's a merit to that. You kind of need to keep it fresh. You need to keep new talent coming through. But on the flip side, they would all say, yeah, but Leo Varadkar has been in cabinet himself for 12 years now. The day that we're recording this, six years to the day since the first time he became Taoiseach. So if Leo Varadkar can serve unbroken nice. in cabinet for 12 years... Why can't anyone else? Simon Coven is the only one. So you have this whole slew of backbenchers going, well, we were thrown out because we just needed to make way for new blood. 
why hasn't Leo ever done the same? Zara, is there a feeling of sour grapes and what have you done for me lately about this from Finnegal? Because I actually read it and another one of the complaints <laughs> was, uh, and I found this one particularly funny, I did roll my head What back have you done for me lately? Uh, was that one of the sore points was that junior ministers weren't invited to the banquet at Dublin Castle alongside Joe Biden. Oh dear. Like, you didn't I'm invite, sorry, it's you not didn't what you're doing for the country, it's what you're doing. Party. You, you, wanted, you want to overthrow your leader, the Taoiseach, and destabilise the government because you didn't get to go to a dinner. Yeah. Which we talked about in the last part about Boris Johnson, that personal motivation. Like, there's an element of personal motivation in all of this. Um, you literally wrote the book on toppling the Taoiseach. Well, the <laughs> end, end of the road, Thanks nine the days book. the top of the Taoiseach. Available in bargain bins now. Oh, yeah. but, Gav, but I mean, like, so, I mean, you, you have a read of what topples the Taoiseach, I suppose, in some ways, particularly within that Finnegan yeah. sphere. Well, see, this is, so what's interesting is that nobody knows for sure when the next general election will be and although of course there's that attitude that why would you change leader if the next leader is is going to fail if they're not going to end up in power afterwards well listen hang on a second now like there's a lot to be said for success in opposition and Mary Lee MacDonald could probably write the book on that right mm-hmm. now. So, you know, this idea that you wouldn't want to be the leader because you're in opposition is kind of well, ridiculous. Me, me, you me, actually me, have a really yeah. unique opportunity to go onto the opposition benches and really claw the party into a, sh- a new shape and yeah. really sort of rejuvenate. I mean, Sinn Féin has rejuvenated itself, you could argue, on the opposition benches over well, the last can, couple of years. But can you do that with, you certainly probably can't do that with Leo Varadkar as leader, so you need to do it no, with that's what I'm saying, you need a new person. So they need yeah. to lead the government into a defeat to them re-energise themselves so you'd be sitting on the opposition benches complaining about the government leading doing. the defeat okay. so which, which is a difficult thing to do but the local elections are a year away and that will kind of change the dynamic because there will be this attitude of well Leo Varadkar hasn't had a chance in a full general election after a full term yet mm. Mm. so let's give him the chance but if the local elections come around in next year and Fine Gael lose share and lose seats and the European elections come around and they lose share and lose seats and maybe they lose the by-elections that follow the European elections then you'll have people going, well, what's the point of this guy? Because he isn't definitively then providing the electoral stardust that was promised. Before we move on from this, there seems to be one name on everyone's lips as the inevitable, that word has been used, successor to Leo Varadkar, and that is Simon Harris. He doesn't seem to be doing much to deflect from that sort of speculation or that sort of, sort of talk. In fact, I would say by virtue of that Irish Times interview, seems to be encouraging it more than anything else. So he was asked about this on Monday morning. Are What's he you, doing? What's are, he doing behind the scenes? He was asked, are you briefing against the Taoiseach? And he was like, obviously not. And not, how, how you can say obviously when all these pieces are unnamed and unsourced. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how you can say demonstrably I'm not doing it. Of course, we don't know who the, the backbench sources are or who the, these Fine Gael sources uh, who, want, who want him out. But... If you do just do the runners and riders of who Fine Gael have at their disposal if the job became vacant, um, at the time of the next election, Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney will have been in cabinet unbroken for 14 years. Pascal Donoghue and Heather Humphreys will have been there for nine years. Mm. Simon Harris will have been there for, sorry, 11 years. Simon Harris will have been there for nine and Helen McAtee will have been there for five, punctuated by some maternity leaves. Mm-hmm. If you think that Fine Gael needs to be led by someone who looks like they've got the clout to lead a government or some kind of ministerial experience, you're sort of left with McEntee or Harris <clears throat> and now, this is wildly inappropriate people seem to hold the fact that she had to go on maternity leave twice against Helen McEntee really? I absolutely I like, it's absolutely cannot genuinely stomach do. that yes. oh, she was asked about this at a press conference earlier today no I'm Wednesday. sorry that's unacceptable it's, it's that is an unacceptable attitude to have in 2023 she it's thinks it's a fringe view and it probably is a minority view but there are definitely some that will go well hang on can't be leading the party yeah well those people need to actually for six months. wake up and realise that that is an unacceptable you cannot you cannot penalise and punish a woman for going on maternity leave in yeah. 2023. Get but, a grip. In, in that light, Simon Harris becomes the only 
moderately fresh voice, despite having been a cabinet for nine years already at that point, who might have the standing to lead the party. And that's why he And this is why women involved. really struggle to progress in politics. Like, it's just absolutely unacceptable. Well, look, between the views there on maternity leave, between the views there on why didn't I get an invite to the Joe Biden dinner and why is somebody else posting things at the coronation? The priorities aren't clearly okay, in order. But there. OK, right then, let's talk about Simon Harris then. Let's look at Simon Harris as a potential leader of Fine Gael. I mean, would he be, let's, first of all, right, let's be honest, he is excellent at social media. He's excellent at engaging with people. He has a great relationship mm. with young people online. You know, in terms of attracting a new, younger voter, they're, like, let's be honest, if you asked people of a certain age, younger, under 30s, to name somebody in Fine Gael, I do think Simon Harris would be at the top of the, the list. Old, the older people in Fine Gael really love him as well. On older socials? people, no, not about social stuff. Oh, okay, the okay. social stuff is all, like, that's all well and good in yeah. terms of recognition. Also has a, a, a sort of a, the, the reverse impact in that people like to okay, yeah, take yeah. the mickey out of him and make mm. memes of him. Okay. But older people love him because they feel like he is old school Fine Gael. And the, the fact the, that he the was... The zeal he took to justice for six months. Exactly. All that justice too. is the big thing. The fact that he was in justice despite the fact that Helen McEntee, I was just going to say, sorry, anyway. so hang on a second, just because a man stepped into the woman's job for a couple of months now, he's the big hero. <laughs> like, this is actually not... The party of law and I know, but this is actually like, I think this is actually unbelievably disgraceful in 2023. Yeah. I'm it's, sorry, I just actually think that's so not okay. It's it not is, okay. but they, they love the... The, the very public zeal that he took to things, that he was basically he ne- never not doing so. And not alone, by the way, spending that time running two ministries, but spending that time going around the country, going and doing constituency events for Fine Gael a lot more than he did when he was only in further and higher education. So he has used it to maximise his own profile as well as the, the rigours of doing two he, cabinet jobs. He, it was very interesting how public he was as the temporary justice minister in terms of what he tried to push forward in terms of like body cams and facial recognition and he completely mm. f- that fell flat in its face yeah. uh, for him. But he was out there and he was pushing the law and order button which Fine Gael loves even though that's not really worked for them. I think the, the big problem that Fine Gael has like Leo Varadkar is now trying to save himself effectively. I think there's an element of this. This is just analysis rather than anything else. But he's putting out this thing of, I am going to be the guy who's going to put money back into your pocket. Tax cuts are coming your way. Everybody's getting a thousand euro. It's going to be great. I'm your guy. The person who gets up in the morning. Yeah. It's a point of difference to everyone else. The the problem is he's been there for... 12 years. Yeah. And will be 14 by the time of the election. So people are living in a cost of living crisis. Their home ownership is a big issue and he's pumping that again as a big issue that he's going to look after. The problem is how many people are going to trust him to be the guy to do that given the fact he's been there for 12 years. Not alone that, but also people keep telling people in opinion polls that they want parties that are going to use the power of the state to reduce the cost of living rather than giving you back your own money to deal with a more expensive world. It's going to be very, yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all slugs out whether Simon Harris takes the ball up at the back of the scrums, use a Boris Johnson reference and runs with it. Leo Varadkar, how scrappy he's going to get in separating himself from everybody else in coalition and in Fine Gael mm-hmm. as being your guy Leo. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. And do out. you think then that like Simon Coveney, who obviously was the contender against Leo the last he doesn't want it now or is, is he done? There are still Pascal Dunne, who doesn't particularly have a leadership well, ambition. Both really? of those two say otherwise, but there are still lingering doubts as to whether either of them will even run in the next year. Yeah. And Heather Humphreys? There is a boundary review coming up uh, in the end of August and that will determine the shape of the Dáil constituencies. Pascal Dunne, who largely saved himself last time by taking votes from what used to be Noel Rock's turf in Dublin Northwest. So if that went back you'd lose a massive electorate. And if you're a city cabinet minister, would you be up for a fight to stay in for a scrap after being in power for 11 years? Or would you move on to a very well-paid gig in the private sector? 
And the same applies to Simon Coveney to a point as well. So It's the big old story of uh, like the speculation around Irish politicians and big job in Europe coming up for them. <laughs> big job in Europe. We'll do a whole other pod on big job in Europe. Big job big in job Europe in seems Europe. to be circling around four or five different people within Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil at the moment. So congratulations to all of them because apparently they're all going to get great gigs. So We'll like, do that deep dive next time. Yeah. Hot town, summer in the city. <laughs> Dublin. I remember that summer Getting in Dublin. Getting all dirt and gritty. Oh. Uh, plenty of column inches have been written about our beloved capital being something of a kip uh, over the last number of days. Una Mullally in the Irish Times saying, Dublin is a dirty, smelly, sticky old town once again, riddled with street filth, broken glass, littering and general grime. Dublin City Council has announced more street sweeping and cleaning as a result of all these complaints which have been echoed by people across the country and across the city. In the middle of this summer heatwave. Street Filth is a great name for a band. I just said that. It'll be good. It'll be good trash metal You read band, that out yeah. anyway, Street Filth. Street Filth. Amazing good name. Band. There are fewer bins in Dublin now than there were at the turn of the millennium. See, that was in one of the Sunday papers. There was at one point 5,000 bins within Dublin City Council's remit and now there's three and a half thousand. There is a real bring your rubbish home vibe going on these days, isn't there? There's also a big let's go and live your life outdoors vibe. <laughs> those which, things which aren't really one needs a bin to live one's life outdoors what yeah think, fair see what do you think Sarah is Dublin bad is Dublin smelly uh, is Dublin a kip would you say no I don't think Dublin's a kip Good. at all I absolutely do not think that um, as a blow-in country girl in Dublin for the last 10 years my 10 year anniversary in Dublin this year Congrats. I think Dublin's a beaut actually I think yeah. it's absolutely gorgeous and I would actually probably say that maybe I'm you know blind, like in the sunshine I'm, I suppose maybe I'm not looking closely enough perhaps but I often <laughs> I think Dublin is absolutely magnificent and I often admire I find myself sitting in traffic admiring the city actually which is kind of you know pathetic but actually I do I love Dublin and I think it's actually a really beautiful city but I think look obviously there is photographic evidence that we are seeing pictures emerging of sort of black spots where it could be a bit cleaner and a bit tidier um, but ultimately no I don't think Dublin's a kip at all I completely disagree with that I think, I think Dublin in summer is actually particularly good but I do think that there's That's issues gorgeous. like I mean to, to read out I think News Talk had a, a, a compilation of, of complaints here the smell of urine in the city is revolting no, it's not. That's, is that heatwave related? Because that would obviously make that worse. No, can I be honest with you though? That comes down to again, like that's a, that's a knock on to a broader issue, but like the housing crisis and homelessness in the city as well. But as well, like the fact of services, people are, are around in, they're out and about for drinks, they're out all night, all that sort of stuff. There's no public toilets. That's obviously been a concern people have had mm. about Dublin for a long yeah. time. Yeah. There's also yeah. more tourists in Dublin than, for the, like, than there has been in many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a big increase in terms of tourists who are visible this year versus last year. And then obviously there was the pandemic beforehand. Mm. There's a huge amount of people around. But do we think no tourists service. are just like urinating in the street though? Hardly. It has happened. I've seen tourists pee in the street there's before. A, no, you haven't. 100% well, I have. You've seen tourists. You're, you're going to stand over that comment. I am 100% standing over that. I, I've seen tour groups do that. I think yeah. that's an outrageous when I first started coming to Dublin when I was a kid and this is like the mid to late 90s that there used to be really prominent super loos around the place where you have, yeah. you have to pay 10 or 20p to be able to use it but they were pretty well run and Would nice you actually clean. use them though? I'm sorry. Like, would I you sort of feel like them? if I had four or five pints I mean I was going from A to B and I needed to take a whiz I'd rather pay 20 this cents. Is a very, nice I feel like this is a very male-female divide these days, you know. Of course, you should be able to tap to <laughs> Dublin, the tech capital of Europe, but we can't do contactless toilets. Um, I feel, I feel like there, there's... That's the name of the episode right there. Uh, but there's an issue with the paving. Does it seem like Dublin's paving or the, the street tiles seem to just kind of retain grubbiness uh, more than anywhere else? So like, you see all this kind of like... Uh, would you not, a good power hose would probably... Surely but a do good we not do hose. enough of that then? Are we not power hosing? I don't know. Are we power hosing? Yeah, we are, yeah. I feel like every time we go to another city, you don't see the same level of like grubbiness on street tiles as you do here. Is some of that just a familiarity thing though? 
Would that be that be a, a, a natural yeah. enough sort Our of waste guys being? You know these tiles better than tiles in other cities. I can't believe we're even having this conversation. Like that. I <laughs> like Dublin. Like, I'm standing up for Dublin. I'm standing up for Dublin, Dublin, Dublin as well. Dublin is it. beautiful, yeah. but I just yeah. sort of feel like well, the weather certainly hasn't helped the aroma around the place, if nothing else. I love the hashtag Dublin you beaut posts from people on the oh, ground at this time no. of the year. Well, I love look, it. I, mean, I don't care. I love it. I love when people Dublin are like you ride, hashtag Dublin you ride. I'm like love that. Yeah. What's the Waterford equivalent? Waterford's just beautiful all the time, like so. You yeah. know, it's really like it just it just kind of it doesn't. It's like sunny southeast hashtag vibes. You know, Sorry, like Waterford's just loves county. Fair play. Lo- I'm wearing the blue today. I love my county today. Yeah. Well, Ireland, uh, yeah, it is at its best when it is sunny outside, and that's all we have time for. So yeah, let us know how things <laughs> how how your town, your village, your city is holding up in the warm weather, whether or not it is a kip or not. Let us know. Uh, that's all we have time for on the group chat this week. Zara, Gavin, thank you very much thank indeed. Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, much. thanks to Rory, Maxine, Ross uh, and Cloda for all of your help on this week's episode. And thank you, the listener, for sticking with us. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.